and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And I thank you so much for joining us here on the program uh, and uh, joining us here to hopefully uh, bide your time, as it were, learn a little something and uh, maybe connect a little bit more with yourself as well as with our guest as we uh, come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. All of those are Pacific times. Uh, I'm not sure how that translates into uh, Greenwich Mean Time, but be that as it may. Also, podcasting. This is a broadcast podcast. Did you know that? A broadcast podcast. And it is podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many other locations that our guests, our uh, listeners are actually uh, posting uh, on a regular basis. And uh, we hope that you will listen to those podcasts because it's where there where you're going to get more information. The radio program only provides us with uh, 50 minutes. So we sometimes go longer than that. And we certainly hope that you will join us for that longer version of uh, the Tell Me Your Story radio program as well as the podcast program. We also encourage you, if you like what we are doing uh, and you'd like to support our work, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. We do have a PayPal and Patreon account. And we uh, also uh, would like to encourage you to support us in that fashion. So Patreon and PayPal are the secure ways, in my opinion, of of uh, s- keeping you safe as well as us uh, financially. And so uh, we have a link on the homepage and the radio shows page, the missions page. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have helped us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those who will help us. I know in these times that we are dealing with, uh, it's not easy, and I get that, but it's going to be okay. And quite honestly, uh, um, we encourage you just to hang in there. It's going to be all right. Uh, Life will go on. How it will go on, I don't know, but it will. I mean, you know, it it, it does. No matter what happens, uh, we manage to continue to move forward. And it's part of what we're going to do today. We're going to move forward, move forward with our guest. She's a woman who I met through... um, and I meet a lot of my guests this way through LinkedIn.com. I'm not promoting them, but I'm grateful that uh, I have, and I find them sort of a filtering uh, 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 website that allows me to connect with people uh, who have a genuine concern and interest for uh, our self-growth, our social and uh, and uh, civilization's growth humanity's growth, our spiritual growth. And with me all the way from Scotland, we have (laughs) Janet Lawson. She's a self-published author, teacher of angels. We're going to find out about that as well, Uh, as well as an ascension. And uh, is it uh, Lemunarian? Oh, boy. Lemurian. Thank you. Lemurian planetary healing. It's for you. You heal... Uh, you, you, a group of you come together and you heal the the planet, or you send healing to the planet through Lemurian crystals. Well, but I, I don't actually. I've got that qualification, but I haven't actually worked with that. I just um, direct healing on my own, but not using the the crystals or with a group. 
You were also uh, a part of uh, one of our former guests. I hope to get her back on again, Diane Cooper, uh, yes, dealing she... with orb uh, orbs and, and all kinds of stuff that she was dealing in as well. Uh-huh. Um, I was part of the Diana Cooper orb team for um, about a year and a half, and we were helping Diana. There was a, there was a small group of us from different parts of the world and we would help Diana to interpret the different orb and energy pictures that were, were sent to our website, um, because it, you can imagine there was, there was a lot. Uh, now, I, I do have to say that there, 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 are, there were occasions where I saw beautiful circles of light in an image or some, sometimes different shapes of light, um, but uh, a, a lot of the times... The colours are caused by um, maybe a refraction of light in the camera lens or light being reflected by dust or water particles. Um, but there, there definitely were times that I saw beings of light um, in a, a, an energy. And when I meditated and imagined I was going inside that energy, um, uh, very often I was given uh, a message and sometimes it was like from a, a cosmic being as well as a, 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 an angel. But as far as the, the refraction of light and the dust particles and then the lens, what we'll have to remember is that the angels work with vibration and colour is vibration. And a lot of the times they connect to the colours that are being refracted by the dust particles and by the, the light falling onto the lens. So for example, Archangel Michael works with the blue ray and he brings forward protection. So although you maybe wouldn't see an Archangel, you, you would feel the Archangel Michael energy from the blue energy. Um, and then there's Archangel Jophiel who works with the crown chakra and he it connects to the vibration of golden yellow and Archangel Chamuel for the heart chakra, he connect, um, connects to the vibration of pink. Um, I work an awful lot with an Archangel called Archangel Zadkiel, and he um, brings forward the violet flame of transmutation. Uh, and very often if you see the violet light, then his energy or his angel's energy are part of that light because they, they work in vibration. But all the colours, you can't say one colour's better than the other. Um, because, um, as, as I like to say, when the, the rainbow comes or you, you shine a light through a prism, all the rainbow lights, uh, colours appear together. They've just got different vibrations, they've got different jobs to do, and um, but all the colours are beautiful. Mm. Well, you are involved in a, a lot of of different aspects of uh, what I'll use as a broad term, the metaphysical uh, uh, arts, if you will. And uh -huh. it's it's something that what I find interesting about it all is that um, it's all using, you know, it's all using the same energy uh, because science has has shown us, has told us that everything is energy. Well, the funny thing yeah. is, is the metaphysical community down through the ages has already known that, has, has been telling uh -huh. us that for generations and, and for centuries yeah. and eons. Uh, how did yeah. you begin your journey down this path? 
Ah, uh, well, I'm glad you asked that. That started um, when I was about four and a half. Um, and what happened was, uh, if I can just give you a little background, my dad was a coal miner. Uh, so he he was born in 1915 and he went into the coal mines when he was 17. Uh, so he worked constant back shift from one o'clock in the afternoon till 11 o'clock at night. My mum was, she worked at the local factories. Plus she was a qualified hairdresser and she sometimes did hairdressing at night. But while the, the time she was at the factory, sometimes she did shift. So there was maybe a few hours um, where they needed somebody to look after me. Whereas nowadays you would call it a childminder. And those days it was just the women along the road agreed to look after you. Mm. So this lovely woman along the road, she agreed to look after me while my mum and dad were at work. And I just started going to her house and I was out in the pavement just out, outside her, her garden. And the street was quiet. There was no other children around. And I'm just looking around. And I happened to look up at the sky. You know how children like to look at clouds. But in this this day, the clouds looked different. And then they started to, in one particular area of the sky, it started to move different. So that kept my attention to that area of the sky. And the next thing, it was as if somebody had just opened up a curtain. I mean, you, you've heard the spiritualist saying just um, beyond the veil. And it really was as if somebody had pulled back this invisible veil, this invisible curtain, and there was this beautiful land in the sky. And it was like a perfect version of Earth. And the colours were saturated. And I ran in to tell my child minder to come and see the garden in the sky. Um, and I went into our house. I just ran in. And I, I got into the living room and I saw this picture in the wall and I just, there was something about the man in the picture. I don't know what it was. It just made me stop. And I said, who's the man in the picture? And she says, oh, that's our Lord Jesus. And I thought, it's it's a thing, that's, it's something that's really kept with me because the time of, that was my first introduction to Jesus. The first time I saw a picture of Jesus coincided with me being shown an image of the other side, and my childminder's name was Mary. She had the holy name of Mary. So it was very important to me. And that was when I realized that just because, I mean, I, I used to say to the children at school, have you seen this or whatever? And the, the, they told me, no, it didn't exist. So I just stopped asking. Um, but just because you don't see anything, it doesn't mean to say it isn't there. Everything is in vibration, as you've already mentioned, Richard. Everything's in vibration. But this realm that I saw, it wasn't above the earth and the stars. It was within the earth. And the only way that can happen is if that was vibrating at a higher vibration. And I'm saying a higher vibration because the colors were saturated. So it was a pure a pure realm. Um, so that that really was my first introduction to that. Hmm. Um, when I was in my 20s, I think it could have happened when I was in my teens, but more so in my 20s, I started to pick up people's thoughts. I couldn't do it um, automatically. I mean, I couldn't say, oh, I'm going to read that person's mind. You know, some people can, but I couldn't do that. It was just all of a sudden, I would hear their thoughts, and when I heard their thoughts, it was as loud as and as clear as if I was hearing them talking to me. And there's a few times when it first started, 
I would actually pick up the thoughts when I was on the telephone and I would reply to the thoughts, which kind of created a kind of um, attention. But um, no, I've been able to do that for for many years. So again, and I've also been able to pick up thoughts from birds and some animals. So that made me think, well, um, thought must be the kind of universal language. But again, everything's on that vibration. If you tune into the, the vibration wavelength of a, a bird's thought or a, a, an animal's thought, then you're connecting to their thought. It's like turning on the radio. Mm-hmm. And if you want to click, connect to, say, BBC One, but you're too far up a wavelength or too far down, you would have to tweak the the control or whatever. Um, but so, yeah, that, that was that. And then in 2007, I uh, qualified as a Reiki therapist. Um, and then most people, when they qualify as Reiki therapists, they, they either start their own business or they have people, they go to somebody's houses or whatever, and they'll give a, a person a long, maybe about a one hour, 45 minutes, a one hour Reiki therapy treatment. And the person feels really relaxed and a lot of them fall asleep. But with me, right from the time I was I was training, I just felt I was going to be doing voluntary. And a lot of Reiki therapists don't agree with voluntary, but I just felt that's what I had to do. So that was the path I took. And rather than giving somebody a one-hour session, it was just maybe a 15-minute, 20-minute booster. So I got into the way of um, scanning their energy. And what I found was when I was sort of putting my hand round about the energy, their aura round about them, my hand was moving smoothly and I didn't feel anything. I knew, well, everything's fine there. And when I started to feel a tension in my palm and a pulling in my palm chakra, I knew, oh, I've either got to stop in this area and work with the aura or put my hand on their body. And if I put my hand on their body, what would then happen is that person would get really warm and I would get really warm. But that was just the shift of the energy taking place. I mean, we're going back to this energy thing again. Um, but now that I've mentioned the, the Reiki, do you mind if I just say a wee bit history about the, the a wee bit background about the Reiki? And the reason I'm going to say this is because Diana Cooper brought for, forward um, new information that I had, I had never heard of when I studied Reiki. And I think your listeners would be very interested in hear this. So I'm just going to give a wee bit background on Reiki. I think your your listeners will be very interested to hear this. Now, when I, I started to to read about Reiki and learn about Reiki, um, basically what I, I, I understood was that there was this great man called Dr. Mikio Yusui. He was born in 1865 in Japan, and he was searching for the skill of healing. He was trying to understand what caused healing to take place in a person. And he read the different uh, scriptures of different religions, and um, and this went on for a number of years. And then um, one day he had this bolt of light that um, came into his forehead. It knocked him in his forehead with such force that it, it, it made him unconscious. And when he awoke, he saw different symbols, uh, and he was told that these were Reiki symbols, and he was instructed how to use them. Uh, and what they were for. So that's like a kind of quick background here. But Diana Cooper 
and co-wrote a book with Sharon Hutton in 2005. The book was called Discover Atlantis. And while they were writing this book, the, the great beings of light gave them more information on Reiki. And what they said was that thousands of years ago, in the time of Atlantis, the darkness was taking a grip in the people and causing the social structure to break down. And even the high priests and priestesses, even some of them were connecting to this dark energy, which was causing chaos. And this meant that the beautiful continent of Atlantis was being cast into chaos and uncertainty, basically. So the people who retained their pure spiritual values, they prayed to God for this abuse to stop. Um, and even the Intergalactic Council, that's um, a group of 12 great beings of light who look after the planet Earth, they um, petitioned Source to send angels to help. Um, the angels brought Reiki symbols at that time, and these symbols were to be placed into the aura of those affected to try and attune them to, uh, well, to attune them to a higher vibration. But then at the fall of Atlantis, because obviously the darkness got its grip and Atlantis became no more, the Reiki symbols to protect them were taken to Tibet. And this was where they were used for healing and to attune people to a higher frequency. But then some newly attuned people started to use them for personal power. And it was decided then that humankind could no longer be trusted with the energy of the symbols. And so the Reiki symbols were withdrawn. Now, thousands of years later, some of these Reiki symbols were given to Dr. Yusui. And this was because during the time of Atlantis, he had been a great and faithful worker for the light. So they were um, given the, the Reiki symbols back to him. But they'd actually originally come to Earth thousands, tens, to, uh, at least 10, 20,000 years before that. So I just thought maybe your your listeners would be interested in, in hearing that. I'm I'm curious uh, as to, uh, and I'm not sure how much more information you have in that regard, but I mean, a lot of people uh -huh. have heard about Atlantis and Lemuria and so forth, and the way the way that you describe what went wrong, so to speak, sounds an uh -huh. awful lot like today. In yeah. our world, um, I mean, even globally, if not here in the States, if I don't know if you kind of get that impression there uh, in the UK or in Europe or what have you, it, it, it really does. It sounds an awful lot like what's going on today. Yeah. What I, I would say, though, is today I feel rather than going down to darkness, but I, I actually feel that we are ascending. And what my understanding is, God, source, is sending down more light. There's more angels in earth that, that, and um, ascended masters connecting with people than there has been for many, many years. And, but the thing to remember is the more light that comes into earth, the more darkness will be brought up to be seen. And the way to look at that is if you imagine a wound, an infected wound, you have to clean out the wound, and the more you you, the, you clean it out, the more gunge and what no comes out, and then the wound becomes clean. 
So it's just that if anything is hidden, darkness is hidden. Um, and but when the light comes down, the light hits the darkness. So darkness is an absence of light. But when light comes into the darkness, then everything's seen. So um, th there is more chaos. Uh, but I believe it's because there's God sending more light to the earth. So but somebody may, may dispute that, but that I've just got to go over how I feel. Yeah. So so basically, uh, there is actually a if if you could I, I I'm going to put it this way, if we the more chaos we create, the more light is going to come in. Well, in the past, no. The more chaos you created, the the darker the the end, the, the the earth was. But in this period of time, there is a lot of angels coming into earth. There is a lot of light coming into earth. Um, so my belief is that this period of this time that, um, and Diana Cooper was told that we're actually preparing for the next golden age. So the, 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 the there is more light coming in, but as light comes in, it, it, it brings up everything that needs to be seen. Um, I, I love the idea of the golden age. Uh, the, you know, we've, we actually had one. Uh, I'm not sure how many hundreds of years ago it was. It was after the Dark Ages, was it not? Well, there was the time of Golden Atlantis. Okay. And I think this is the time that Diana's talking about. I think there was about four, maybe even five different stages to Atlantis. And it was a kind of um, an experiment that was to take place on Earth to see if, um, through free will, if people could still connect to the light. Um, and they were helped, sometimes they were helped by the Intergalactic Council and the Beings of Light, and sometimes they weren't. And sometimes it failed, and then they would start it again. And the very last um, stage of Atlantis was, Atlantis was called the, gold, the Golden Atlantis. And I think it lasted about 1,500 years. I, th I think it lasted that long. Mm. Um, and then it just um, it became no more. But the, the Earth is... Uh, according to what Diana Cooper was told, we are going to be, um, we will go into another golden era. But So just now there is a lot of light coming in, but it looks as if it's just chaos. Um, yeah. But if you see, even with the, the, this virus, the virus is creating so, so much chaos, so much pain, uh, and the world and, and the, the, the deaths of people young and old, but it's also create, bringing the earth together. I mean, we're getting globalization in a way that um, of a higher vibration than, than it has been for years. You're having manufacturers changing the way they, they normally do things to make um, theater gowns and masks for hospitals around the world. You're having car manufacturers that, that are able to make um respirators i mean we're, we're actually seeing globalization in a new way and there's children i don't know what's happening in america but here there's children putting drawings of rainbows up into the their, their windows and a sign of hope because after the darkness the sun comes the rainbow comes out so th there is a difference taking place 
I've noticed myself, even though maybe initially as I started hearing the news of this and I started hearing how it was starting to spread in the States, there was a there was a concern, certainly. Uh, my wife, she's mm-hmm. in the in the uh, 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 um, in the critical area. She's sixty nine, and, oh, and dear. so oh, dear. so. And then she also has I'm underlying sorry to health. Hear that. But she works in the medical field. Well, they furloughed uh-huh. they furloughed her for eight weeks, uh, and uh, as we are speaking now, we're into week two of that furlough period. Okay. Uh-huh. But uh, I said, okay, here there are two things. Number one is the company that she works for went on uh, the, on the news. They said they were going to be cutting. They're going to be furloughing, which means these people will come back to their jobs. They'll be furloughing uh-huh. 50% of their workforce to save save money, right? Well, she's uh-huh. she's been working there for a long, long time, so she's making a lot of money. Now, she's not uh-huh. going to lose her health benefits, uh, but certainly not going to get paid. Uh, and uh-huh. uh, so um, uh, uh, they're they're doing their part by cutting the people who are costing them the most. But the second part is because she is in that uh, uh, area uh, above 65, if you will, they are uh-huh. also trying to keep her safe because she is a valued employee. And that's something that I've, well, that's I've shared good. with her. But the one thing I wanted to share was that I have felt all along, and, and no matter what the numbers are, and yes, my heart goes out to those people who have been uh-huh. testing positive, who have been getting sick, those who have lost their lives, the families that have lost these members. It's horrible. I, I mean, have been uh, very... Richard, if it happened to me, I mean, my goodness, it must be... I, it just, it's unimaginable, isn't it? What it they're is. going through. It, it is. really is. It sure is. And yet at the same time, I feel... And, and it's it's like I'm trying to feel sad, but it's not coming. I feel very optimistic. I feel that there are great opportunities for our societies and civilizations, yeah. similar yeah. to what you yeah. just spoke about. There's, and many of positive change is taking place. Yes, it is. And many of these companies that you referred to around the world that are doing uh-huh. what they're doing. Many of them mm-hmm. just started doing it. They weren't asked by the government to do nope. it. They just mm-hmm. said, we need to do our part here because these are our fellow human beings, not to yep. mention, not to mention mm-hmm. that, and I find this rather deplorable, if this is my opinion, that so many people are worried about the economy that uh, they mm-hmm. want to get it ramped up again. And it's like, mm-hmm. so human life is really that invaluable to you. It's the human beings that run your companies that you want to gear up again. And our even our president has been doing that, has been saying that, wants to get things ramped up uh, by Easter and, and so forth. And it's like, we have to finish this period. Uh, and it's going to be okay. And we're going to get very creative, aren't we? I mean, we, that's one of the things that's been happening, even in Scotland. Yep. Yeah, as I say, it's globalization in a way that um, it should be. That the whole world's coming together, and I, and I know we're, it's like being in a war because everybody is being attacked. I mean, and people's people's losing lives and they're losing jobs. It's like being in a war, but in a war, the countries are fighting against each other, whereas this 
time, everybody's coming together. Yeah. Because everybody's going through the same thing. So there's an increase in empathy and compassion. And all these are positive energies. And they all open up um, uh, a channel to allow more positive energy to come in. Well, it's it is uh, uh, um, it, it's a phrase that is used and was used, especially at the turn of the last century when immigrants were coming to the United States, and that was the phrase: "This is the land of opportunity." Well, America yeah. is not the only land of opportunity, and yes, uh, I acknowledge that there are governments around the world that oppress and suppress their people, and this and that and the other thing. But that doesn't change the fact that the bottom line from my perspective is that it doesn't matter where you are. This is one of the things we promote on this radio on this program. Tell me your story Uh that everybody, no matter what their situation, has choices. And Uh it just depends upon whether you're aware that you have those choices. In many instances, Uh people aren't educated to know that they have other choices other than living an impoverished life. You know, now some would yeah. argue with me on that whole thing, but we've seen people who have, who have their stories have been told over the centuries of how they mm-hmm. were living in such deplorable conditions and they managed to, as the phrase goes, pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Yes. And yeah. they actually went on to live quite remarkable lives, accomplish quite Aye. remarkable things, maybe because of the fact that they were in these particular situations and conditions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I believe, uh, especially here, as we've been promoting since September of 2019, here we are. 2020, this is the year of perfect vision. I want to talk to you now about that inner vision that we need to start accessing. We're all staying at home. We've all got the time to do it. So, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were conversing about how, you know, you're able to go out on your porch at least, you know, and and so forth. I don't know what part of the city, what part of a city or village, if you live in the rural areas of Scotland, but... You, you've and got we're the coast. The yeah. Coast. So you've got nature around you and you can get uh-huh. out and 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 so forth. Talk to us from your experience, but also from Janet Lawson's um, personal perspective as a fellow spiritual traveler about how important it is for us to connect with that still small voice, that intuition, that higher self that yeah. we all have. Uh, how, uh, how I do it is um, I talk to my heart because your body is intelligent and there's an intelligent energy within you. I mean, God's energy is within you. And um, I, uh, I talk to my heart and I ask my heart to open up a clear channel to the highest and purest vibration of God. And when that happens, I feel this change. I feel this energy. And I talk to God and I get an answer. Um, and I, But what I would say is to keep positive because, again, it's going to everything has a vibration. And I've heard people saying, oh, you don't have to be positive all the time. 
Well, no, you don't have to be. But if you understood that every word has a vibration, and when you say a, a vibration over and over again, you're asking the universe to connect you to that vibration. So by thinking positive things, we can actually change our lives in remarkable ways. It's how we say things. And there's this, it's been said for years that um, what you say after the phrase I am is very important. So if you keep saying, oh, I'm fed up or I'm bored or da-da-da-da-da, then the universe gives you what you want. So the universe will keep bringing things into your life to make you feel fed up and bored. And if you keep saying, oh, I want this and I want that, then the universe will bring you into a situation where you're always going to be wanting that. So you have to get into a point where you feel that you have that and that's the vibration you want to connect to. And once you connect to that vibration, that's what you attract to you. So you you would affirm that um, you already have something that you want, that you have a nice car. Um, but rather than going down the Everestic road, you would say, I drive a good quality car to get around in comfort and safety. You see? So you're sending out a positive thought. And it's like um, something that I remember that Diana Cooper was told by the angels. Like if you think something, if you just, it's just a, a fleeting thought, and then it goes, it doesn't have any effect on you. But if you keep thinking a thought over and over again, if it's like, even if it's an anger thought or if it's a, a thought of lack, it's similar to, an analogy is, putting a nail into a piece of wood. You give it one tap, the nail one tap, it doesn't make much of a dent. You give it two or three taps, it maybe goes in a bit more, but you keep tap tapping and hammering it in, the nail goes in and then it's different to move, difficult to move out. And so it is with our thoughts. So if you keep thinking the same thoughts all the time, you're attracting that, it gets embedded into your subconscious rather than your, your, your conscious, and that's what you attract to you. So you have to be careful of your thoughts because everything is energy and the universe wants us to get what the universe wants, what we want. Um, and it's just going down to keep positive, watch your thoughts, be careful, and that'll help to change. It'll help you to get through a period of isolation it helps you to get through a difficult period. And if you think of all the people who are rich and wealthy um, and great business folk, they don't go about thinking doom and gloom and negative things are going to happen. They think positive all the time because that's the energy they're, they're working with. They believe that they can succeed. So they bring that energy of success into their life. You know, one of the things that you, you said there really stri strikes me, and I don't know about the Scots, but I do know that the Americans have this obsession with toilet paper during an emergency. Oh. Um, now, I and my wife made the uh, conscious, and it actually wasn't so much of a conscious decision as much as it was that we weren't, we weren't going to hoard uh, we were only going to go to the store and buy the things that we needed for, say, the coming week, like we normally uh -huh. do. 
because nothing had really changed as far as the grocery stores. But for some reason, uh-huh. this panic and attitude of lack mentality permeated yeah. our society uh-huh. here uh-huh. in the States that they've thought that the panacea, the cure-all for the COVID virus was toilet paper. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, I just, you know, and... I'll show you two... Two things that I was thinking about there. Yes. The, the the panic for the toilet paper is, I think it was in case folk thought they were going to have to isolate. And what happens if anything happens, right? I get that. But what I found was, and it reminds me of this song, is it D.B. Boulevard sang it? And it was um, Point of View. And part of the song was, if you see things from another point of view and another way, life becomes easy. So to begin with, I was shopping at the same time. And when I went into the shop, the shelves were bare. And I thought, my goodness, this is like uh, a chain reaction. Folk were panic buying. And then people were going into the stores. They would see the empty shelves. And then they would have this feeling, oh, my goodness, everything's going we need to get. So then I changed the time I went. And I started going earlier first thing in the morning. And the shelves were full. Mm. And then I was into this energy of abundance. So it's like the song goes, if you change the way you look at something, and if you change the time you go somewhere, then things are different. Yeah, yeah. Janet Lawson's my but guest. Sometimes I'll... I understand some folk, if they, they, they're coming home from the work, and the only time they can get to go to the shop is a certain time, then... That in that case, it's sad because those folk have only got that certain time slot, and the the shelves are maybe bare. But I think that what happened then that just happened at the start, and then the supermarket started to think, no, we've got to just put so much into the shelves at a certain time, and that way it didn't matter when you went, there would be something there. Yeah, absolutely. But I found that if I went in the morning, then when they were stocking the shelves. For the new day it was like going in and you were having this feeling of abundance so if you've got a feeling of abundance you don't worry about lack yeah i couldn't agree with you more and even when i go into the stores now and i don't go in the mornings i usually go in the afternoons because that's when i'm able to do so uh the stores uh-huh. the, especially the paper products shelves are bare they're empty except for the aye, big boxes aye. of the industrial uh-huh. toilet paper which is yeah. much rougher and much thick uh, much stiffer and so on and so forth aye, but then aye. my wife and I we sat and talked about this and we said that people don't seem to realize that there are other methods you have three mm-hmm. fixtures in most bathrooms the toilet mm-hmm. the sink and your shower slash tub and so you don't absolutely have to have toilet paper. Yes, it's a bit of an inconvenience to have to use the water. We've even considered the possibility of purchasing a bidet to put in so we don't need to use toilet mm-hmm. paper. Um, different uh-huh. options like this. Uh, but but the bottom line is that we took the position, the attitude that there's more than enough in spite of what you see on the shelves it's like one of my other guests uh, who uses the subtitle to his program, Seeing is Not Believing. Or what, no. you know. But it, you know. But our supermarkets, they, they're doing really good because what they, they're doing is 
they're setting aside certain times um, when the shop opens for the NHS workers so that they've always got access to, to food and supplies because they're, they're working out and then they were coming home and they weren't getting anything. So the supermarkets now open um, for specifically for the NHS people and I think I think they've also got a time slot for the elderly as mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um. So the, the, I have to say that it was just at the beginning when everything w- was happening. It was yeah. like if you went at a certain time, it was like oh my goodness, there's nothing. Yeah. And then you changed your time and you thought, wow, there's everything. <laughs> but now, I mean, everything is more organised. Yeah. Well, the other there's one other element that has been added to it in the news media, and that is that they are telling us here in the States that there's more than enough. The, the supply is there. Uh, but the problem is, is as soon as they supply the stores and then the stores stock the shelves, the shelves are emptied. And it's not like we do not have a shortage of toilet paper in the United States as far as the manufacturers are concerned. What we do have a shortage of is uh, is time on this program, unfortunately. And uh, I do want to make sure that I mention uh, that you have uh, uh, self-published a a book for children ages eight and up. It's called Pure Love, which is a spiritual story for children and young adults. And um, it would be beneficial to children who have to face the prospect of death at an early age, uh, either through their own uh, uh, terminal illness or the death of a, a relative friend or even a pet, and Pure Love helps to transform uh, the scary, unknown aspects of death into a magical journey. And when we get back from our break, I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about this subject, which I usually like to use the phrase, this subject is near and dear to my heart, not because I've died, but because I'm curious about, about all of that. Uh, And Uh so we'll do that when we come back. Uh, Janet Lawrence, my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. And we are connected all the way to Scotland today here on this program, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Stay tuned. Here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan. Thank you so much for staying with us, staying with me and uh, Janet Lawson, who is uh, coming to us all the way from Scotland. Uh, we thank you very much for coming to us all, the, all that way there. Uh, are you, oh, it's a pleasure. Are you serving haggis today? Oh, no, no, the day. Not today. No, the day. Ah, yes. I understand. No. Is, is haggis really a delicacy in Scotland? A lot of folk like it, and they've actually brought out a vegetarian haggis. But I, a lot of folk like haggis. Uh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, how can you have vegetarian haggis? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. There well, must that's have been a short of haggises. Oh my goodness. Well, um, I have not had, I don't think I've had much Scottish food that has been translated into uh, Americanese here in the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, if anything. I mean, uh, you know, I, I do know 
Irish food. I know that fish and uh-huh. chips pretty popular here. Bangers and mash is pretty popular. Shepherd's pie. Oh, we the have the same here. Yeah. I buy the same here. Uh, excellent, excellent. Well, let's move on since we've uh, taken care of the culinary aspects of our program. Uh, let's take uh-huh. let's take a look uh, at your latest work. It's a children's story called Pure Love. Uh, we may reference yes. to it dealing with death and dying. First of all, I think it would be certainly appropriate to go ahead and let's give a little um, little background uh, of the okay. story itself, pure love, and then let's then we'll then then we'll move on from there. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to write uh, a book for children that was that was bringing in angels that had a, a spiritual aspect, but was full of positive um, messages, and. But when I started to write it, I felt it would also be a book, as you've already mentioned, that would be beneficial to children who had to face the subject of death, either through their own terminal illness or the death or terminal illness of a friend, a family member or a pet. Because, I mean, it's bad enough for these children going through what they have to go through without worrying what's going to happen when I die. Am I going to go somewhere? Is it going to be painful? And I wanted to turn it into a magical journey rather than something to be worried about. So I'll read the synopsis at the back of the book and then I'll tell you about the, the story, if that's okay, Richard. Is that, yes, absolutely. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah? Okay, so um, the story revolves around nine-year-old, a nine-year-old girl called Tansy. Um, her dad actually comes from Italy. His name's Mario, and our, our, our mum comes from America. She's got uh, two younger brothers, Alden and Aspen, and they inherited a large house with acres of land and a lake in the Norfolk Broads in England. Now, our mum and dad wanted to fill in the lake, um, but the children wanted to see the ducks and the swans and everything coming to it, so that was fine. But the story starts, and it's winter, and the lake's frozen, Um and so the children are told not to go near the lake. But Tansy, being headstrong like her dad, runs, goes onto the lake, thinking she's just going to slide, and she goes into the water. Now, her dad does rec- rescue her, but her body's in shock, and she remains in a coma for six weeks. And it's during that six weeks, our guardian angel takes her on a magical journey through the, the higher realms, Okay. So I'll read the synopsis at the back, and it's got um, Tansy meets dragons, fairies, and other elementals, and she's shocked to find out that these wonderful fairy tale characters are actually real and working alongside the people on Earth. She swims with dolphin angels. Tansy learns about crystals, how to look after them, and also about their wonderful intelligent energy. She visits the archangels and she learns about the different ways that angels can help the people and animals on Earth. So, as I say, the first chapter um, is where she falls in the lake. And can I just read the the beginning of the the first paragraph of the second chapter? Because that tells us, that explains how I came to have the the name Pure Love. Mm -hmm. So, Tansy could hear a high-pitched sound in her head. What is that sound, she asks herself. Her body felt strange, lighter somehow. But how could that be possible? As Tansy listened more closely to the high-pitched sound, 
she realized that it was actually a beautiful choir singing about their love for someone very special. It was as if there were thousands of people singing praises to this very special person. Although some people only sang the word hallelujah, each voice was as clear as crystal. Tansy felt that every cell in her body was filling with wonderful tingly energy that made her feel so happy and the only words she could find to describe this wonderful energy was pure love. Now, the second um, chapter, uh, Tansy's guardian angel takes her back to the, the hospital room and she sees herself lying in the bed and she sees her mum and dad and the boys crying. And she doesn't understand why her mum and dad can't see her because she feels alive, you see? Mm -hmm. um, because the spiritual body is eternal. It's only the physical body that isn't. And our guardian angel explained that there's this spiritual cord that connects the spiritual body to the physical body. And the spiritual body is made up of God's energy. So God's energy is connect still connected to our physical body. And when our body was strong enough, they would reunite. So they call in the angels and the angels stand behind Tansy's mom and dad and her two young brothers. And the energy of the angels help her mom and dad and her, her brothers to think positive things about Tansy. They remember happy times and that raises their energy. And Tansy can see a difference in her own physical body when their energy has changed. So our guardian angel takes her back over and they spend time with a, a dragon and she finds out that dragons also help the people on earth. They, they vibrate at a higher vibration and that's why the people don't see her. Um, she visits the land of the elementals and she learns that the elementals are real and they help the people on earth and the land. The fairies look after the flowers and the plants. The gnomes care, care for the soil the stones and the minerals of the earth. And there the, the are mermaids, that mermaids care for the waters of the world and they tend to the plants in the oceans. And then in chapter five, she understands about the beautiful energy of God that flows through water, this intelligent energy. And I don't know if you've heard about Dr. Masaru Emoto. And mm -hmm. he did experiments to... to um, show that if you said positive things to water, then the beautiful crystals form. And you have to remember that most of our body, about three quarters of our body is water. So if we say positive things to ourselves, think of the beautiful changes that's taking place within ourselves if you look at it from that point of view. So I was trying to bring this in to the, the book. And there was a four different ways I gave Tansy to, that our guardian angel gave her so that she could help to increase the energy of the water. And there was a girl from India. She saw this in, in this big screen from heaven. Um, she was able to look down on earth. And our guardian angel showed her this girl from India scoop up some water from a river. And she said her favorite prayer to it. It was an Indian prayer, but it was a beautiful word. So it was positive message. And Tansy could see the positive changes taking place in the water. And then there was a boy from Africa. And he always told the water that he loved it just before he drank it. So he was always drinking water that had a better vibration. And then she saw a boy from America. And when he 
looked out his bedroom window in the morning, he could see this lake from his bedroom window. And he used to imagine every morning, he would imagine that the words love, light and purity were written in the water at the lake. So he was doing his wee bit to to help increase the vibration of the water of the lake. And then finally, the, the, the other example was a girl from Scotland. And she asked God to bless the water each time she used it. She blessed the water in the washing machine. She blessed the water when she was washing the dishes, taking a shower, when she had a cup of tea, and when she gave water to the plants or the birds in the garden. And she also blessed the water when she went for a walk next to the sea. And then in chapter six, Tansy is taken to see the crystals. Now, these are huge crystals because it's energy. And Tansy is able to walk inside this um, crystal energy with her crystal body. And when she walks inside the crystal, there's quite a few different varieties of crystal. Each one tells her the properties of that crystal and she feels the benefits of the crystal not only touching her spiritual body but she feels as if it's helping her her physical body as well and then um chapter seven and eight and nine she spends time with the elementals and she sees uh, the, the young fairies have their first flight. Now, she's told that the fairies are always born with wings, but the, the elder fa- fairies make a fuss of the young fairies when they have their first flight. And then Pegasus comes, the horse with the wings, and takes Tansy and her guardian angel to Archangel Raphael's spiritual retreat. And she walks around his garden and she receives healing from him. And she also meets... Um, Archangel Michael and Archangel Zadkiel and they tell her um, how she can call on them to help her with her life or to, if, to help somebody else. For example, if there's somebody at school or at home or near her home is being bullied, then she can call on Archangel Michael. And Archangel Michael is the angel for protection and he will step forward and protect the child um, and she meets her unicorn and then um, she goes through the process of connecting back with her body and how it feels so different being in this light spiritual body to being in a in a, a heavy physical body that's filled with pain um, and she's our guardian angel guides her that when she's going through the healing process to always keep her thoughts positive because that has a positive effect um, on her on her body, so um, and then there's a a, a nice ending. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well, let me ask uh, you how the subject uh, of uh-huh. death and dying and its relationship to children, our our younger people, uh, in our society, uh, how that came about for you. What what was the catalyst that said I I need to do this? Well, I I just find that. Nowadays, um, if children don't have any concept of an afterlife, perhaps they think that, well, once we die, that's going to be it. And I just thought it's very sad because I've seen that afterlife. I've seen that beautiful place. And 
just, I just wanted to make it a magical journey for these children. I think they've got enough burden to bear. And also if they lose a parent, it's not even just if they're going to go through terminal illness. I mean, what if they lose a parent? I mean, a parent could be away fighting in a war or dying of and it's just so that they, they, they know that at one day they're going to meet that parent again hmm. it was just just this feeling about children um I, I don't know i just wanted to make it more magical for them but bring in positive messages and um i mean as i say the, the messages with the water well dr masaru emoto did loads of tests so that was, and I have acknowledged him at the, the beginning of the book. And also to know about their guardian angel, because we are, every single one of us are born with a guardian angel, and a guardian angel is allocated to us. And I've heard people saying that, oh, I don't like to ask my guardian angel to do this for me or that for me, because I'm taking away the help that somebody else could be getting from the angel but what people don't realize is that every single person has a guardian angel so if you don't ask your guardian angel to help you they're just floating around next to you they're not going to go and help somebody else even if they see half a dozen folk needing help they're not going to go to those folk because they know that each of these people have their own guardian angel you see mm -hmm. so it's important to form um, and you and I have guardian angels, and it's important to, to form a relationship with your guardian angel because they can help you so much. But the difference is we come to earth with a beautiful gift from God. It's called free will. Now, this free will allows us to enjoy life in whatever way we want to, whether it's detrimental to our growth. But we come with the understanding that if we do something that's detrimental to our spiritual growth, we have to face the karmic um, uh, payment for that to bring things into a balance. Mm. Um, but the angels, they don't have the free will that we, we have. They're a pure essence of God. So they're following God's will. So they have to take on God's will and, and allow us our free will. Even if we decide to take a path that's detrimental, they know that there's lessons that will be learned and they'll keep whispering things in our ear and then we just shut it out. Oh, no, that's just my imagination and da-da-da. But your guardian angel is your best friend and they are the essence of God that's next to you. And we can all ask our guardian angel, it doesn't matter what age you are or how rich or poor you are, your angel is with you from you take your first breath to you take your last breath. Hmm. Are they so there? I wanted to get that across to the children as well, that you did have a guardian angel. I just There was just so many things I wanted to get into them. And um, so that's that. <laughs> Are these guardian angels there to meet them on the other side? Well, when you cross over, your guardian angel's with you. When you cross over, mm -hmm. when you die, your guardian angel's with you. So you mm -hmm. don't cross over on your own. Your guardian angel's with you all the time. So in spite of the fact that we hear quite often that we all die alone, even if there are people in the room with us, because it's uh -huh. our individual journey, 
That's not entirely true because, again, as you say, our guardian angels are with us. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, just because, again, it's going back to what I saw and what other people couldn't see. Just because we don't see the angels, it doesn't mean to say they're not there. Mm. I mean, when um, when I was doing my teacher training, right, my, my, my teacher training with the Diana Cooper um, school, they came up with this, that we were given this analogy, and it's the, 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 the spokes in the bicycle wheel. When the, the bicycle wheel is stationary, you can see all the spokes in the wheel, when the wheel's gone really, really fast, you don't see every individual spoke because it's gone too fast, but the spokes are still there. And it's so with the angel. If the angel lowered its vibration to the vibration we are at in a physical level, or if we was able to tune into their vibration, we would see them. But they're still there. It's just that their vibration is much faster than ours. Mm. Well, because their energy, and we are um, we are in a physical body. Our spiritual energy, the angels are a spiritual energy. Our spiritual energy is contained within our body. Our bodies allow us to experience life in a physical planet. But once our physical body dies, our spiritual body is eternal, and we can come back to Earth for another life in another body. But our, our spiritual life's eternal because that connection is God. If you, and it goes back to, if you think of, I think it's a basic physics, the energy can't be destroyed. It's just changed into another form. You see, so our spiritual mm. energy is eternal. Yeah. That's one of the aspects, uh, I, I think, that, for example, within the, uh, the Christian community, there's a passage in the New Testament where uh, Paul basically admonishes the uh, the reader or listener, uh, do not fear the one who can destroy the body. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, of course, he goes on to say, but fear the one who can who can destroy the soul, which, quite honestly, yeah. I think is is us. We destroy our own souls uh, through the, the the things that we do here, especially. It's it's sort of been mm-hmm. uh, described as. Uh, it's a sheet of cellophane, and every time you sort of violate your own values, your own integrity, uh, and mm-hmm. so forth, you poke a hole in that cellophane, and yes. eventually or, you you have a bunch of holes. Uh, you basically yeah. you basically have a net, a cellophane net. Yeah, yeah, and you also have it's like a boomerang effect. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know that the boomerangs you throw and it comes back. So whatever you give out. At some point, you're going to have to face it. It may have been a different form, but you're going to have to face the lesson of the vibration that you've sent out. It may be in this lifetime. It may be in the next time. But it's all to do with your free will and uh, balancing the karma. Mm. I really appreciate the fact that you deal with this subject with the children because... The adults who haven't faced this subject, not faced death mm-hmm. of a loved one or what have you, but just of the subject, many it's it's almost it's a subject that they don't want to discuss almost as much as they don't want to talk about 
uh, insurance <laughs> or politics or religion. Uh, and yet uh, politics and religion are man-made aberrations and death and dying is a part of the human slash spiritual experience and it just seems to me that other cultures around the world, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, it was a uh, PBS special or program on death and dying where this uh, documentary crew went around the world to different uh-huh. places uh, to see how these other cultures dealt with death and dying. To, uh-huh. and, and, I re- I, and this has stayed with me to this day. They went to one village, and I want to say it was either in Africa or South America, and they told the people what they wanted to do, and they said, sure, come on in. And uh, someone had passed, and so they began the rituals, and they began the, the, the process. And at one point, the leader of the tribe, of the community, said, I must ask you and your crew to leave. We'll send someone to get you when it's safe uh-huh. because they were about to go through one of the phases of grieving, which is anger. And, it, and the, they uh-huh. were told that this was going to become, get very physical, potentially very right. violent. Uh-huh. And they did right. not want the crew to get hurt, even though they would be no. observing. Uh, and of uh-huh. course they left. And I thought, wow, the entire community right. is going to experience all of this uh-huh. together. As, and they're supporting each other. And they're supporting each You're not alone yeah. in your grief. Uh, and I remember uh-huh. when a dear friend of mine passed away on October 10th, 2003. He lived across the street from us. Then he lost the lease on the uh, home. We said, well, come live with us till you find another place to live. Oh, and then a few lovely. months later, he passed away in our home. Oh. And I remember uh, it was a Friday when he was declared, and it was the 10th of October. And we were laying in bed Saturday, just utterly exhausted. And I woke up with the most unbelievable anger and rage that he oh. had died. How could you, mm-hmm. you know, and th- those types of things. Uh. <laughs> And even was uh, able to be the observer of self and going, wow, where in the world did that come from? Uh, you know? uh-huh. That was a, a big release, wasn't it? It was. But this uh-huh. is part of the problem that we have. And, and, and of course, with the, this virus that's sweeping the globe and we're seeing pictures now uh-huh. of some countries are already... Uh, they have already buried their dead or they're in the process and they're literally doing it. They're doing it in mass graves All here right. in the States. I don't know about in in England, Ireland, Scotland, uh, the, the British Isles. Um, but here in the States, uh, the the overflow of the dead um, right. is such that they're actually using refrigerator cars. They're going to right. bury them temporarily. I would assume mm-hmm. they're going to maintain a certain level of identification so that when the time is right, they will exhume them from these temporary graves. And uh-huh. th- and I believe this is for health reasons they're doing this. Uh, uh-huh. And then they will have the ceremonies and then they will go through the process. 
and uh-huh. um, and and I find that interesting. It's very sad, isn't it? It it's is very sad. It must be. It must be difficult for their families, especially if it's from different religious beliefs, and because each religion have some religions have specific ceremonies. If you've you've said abroad, but even in America, they've um, they've got specific ceremonies, and it must be difficult if they can't do that for their loved one. Yeah, I mean it's painful enough to lose them, but to not be able to follow your religious um, mm-hmm. ritual, I, I, I mean, it must, it, it's so sad. It, it must be horrible to, uh, a, a difficult struggle for these people. It's, oh, yeah. And that's when you really have to pull into your faith, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. Uh-huh. And pull now, into you, your community. Mm-hmm. You, you, and this is why I encourage people. I don't care if you live alone. You need to get out when it is safe to do so. You need to get uh-huh. out and you need to connect with people and let them know you're there and let uh, and you let them know that you're there for them and vice versa. And d- uh-huh. start building the network so that mm-hmm. when situations such as what we're experiencing now do arise and they do arise sometimes not on a grand global scale uh, sometimes it's localized but nonetheless uh-huh. you can go to them and say hey if they're in need how can i help and vice versa yes. i need help uh-huh. and not be ashamed yeah. to ask for help that seemed. No. Do, do you find that the yeah. and and again I I don't I ask this uh, out of uh, just curiosity, uh, and I don't because I don't know what the Scottish culture is like, and I'm assuming that you've lived there all your life. Uh, what about uh-huh. this aspect, not just of the the death and dying process, but also of the communal aspects of the Scottish culture? Can you talk to us a little bit about that in relation to um, what we've been discussing? To, to Well, there's so many different beliefs. Um, even within the Christian community, there's different beliefs and more people are turning spiritual. Um, and then you've got Muslim and there's Hindu and, um, and the Jewish. In Scotland, so it's really, Scotland's quite a multicultural place and it's just a case of respecting everybody else's beliefs, which I think is a good thing because we're really all, I mean, we're, we're, we're all flesh and blood. Uh, it's um, The only thing, the difficulty is with the, the coronavirus outbreak is... Whereas you'd maybe like to give somebody a good send off and friends and family come and uh, to the church or the graveside or the crematorium. But now um, I think I'm right in saying it's no more than six people. Mm-hmm. So that from that point of view, it, it's difficult. But as far as Scotland goes, I would say it's a, it's a multicultural uh, place and... Um, a multicultural country, and I, I, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I mean, because we 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 I it's and but we all managed to live. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we do here anyway. And I'm I'm hoping that they managed to live um, peacefully in in the rest of the places in Scotland. But yeah. 
In fact, I would say United Kingdom as a whole is is a multicultural. It's I mean, and that that that's good though, isn't? It? I mean, it's nice to have um, your heritage, and I think this is where um, it's like you, you're maintaining the history of the place, and it's I can understand when people come from abroad to live in the United Kingdom and they want to hold on to their traditions. I think that's important to pass on to their children as well. So it's a case of integrating, but still holding on to your your history, your traditions. Because I know if I went to live somewhere abroad, I would still want to hold on to um, my, my Scottish traditions. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Can I just go back to, remember you were talking about the soul. Yes. Well, when I was at the, the Diana Cooper School, they came out with a... Um, we were given this sort of easy to understanding um, diagram of the, the what the soul is. And if you imagine you've got this superior source energy, um, the, the great creator of the universes, right? You've mm-hmm. got this source energy. And this um, intelligent energy releases billions of sparks of his energy right Mm -hmm. and these are the monads and to keep the monad pure but still to get experience this was so that god would get experience so there's still this pure aspect of god that's there and then you've got the billions of aspects and each one's a monad each monad would release 12 aspects of itself and this is your soul group and then each soul would release 12 aspects of itself. And this lower, this group of lower aspects are us. We are all experiencing life in Earth and in different planets. And I could have another aspect in my soul group who could be a different religion, could be a Muslim or a Hindu or somebody living in Syria. Um, uh, Sirius, no Syria, Sirius. Um, so... And then when you, you look at things from the going up the tree and you think we're all connected. We may look different. We may have different names and different ways and different characters, but we're all connected to this source energy. Mm. I just well, wanted to throw that in there. Well, I appreciate you doing so. Um, it's, it is one of those things that about not too long ago, I participated in uh, an interesting uh, uh, therapy session that I found out about and actually have had the gentleman on a couple of times to talk about this. We'll have him on again, too, uh, having to do with what's called LBL or Life Between Lives, where the uh-huh. Newman Institute uh, basically did studies, uh, took people under hypnosis uh, and took them back to their last past life, their last lifetime, and then brought them forward to their death and then brought them into that space between the death from the last lifetime and the birth of this lifetime. And Uh they were all independent of one another. And it was fascinating to learn about what you've described. They refer to it as the cluster, that we have this cluster of souls that we associate with. It's our community Uh throughout our existence Uh as eternal beings as we reincarnate 
uh, and some of them we have very close connections with. Other ones, others, we just may pass on the streets, kind of thing. But all of these people. All of these entities, if you will, are part of our mm-hmm. cluster, and we get to yeah. sort of reconnect with them in that between space. We also yeah. get a period of rest, and then we also have the opportunity for education. And there's there are there's processes of continuing continued education, continued learning, and, and then yeah. you prepare for entering into your next lifetime. And I have to say, yeah. it was fascinating. Um, especially when I went back to one of my favorite books. It was a gift of a dear friend of mine who passed away a year ago, March. And um, it's called The Impersonal Life by James Banner. He channeled it, or it was channeled through him. And in it, Uh it talks about this concept of reincarnation and uh, past life therapy and regression and so forth. And basically says that what you call past lives is really nothing more than you're tapping into the manif- the t- tapping into the lives of my manifestation. You didn't live that life, but you are tapping into that life in the regressive process. And I thought about that for a while and realized that there's no difference between that and reincarnation where you may or may not have lived multiple lives and when you mm-hmm. go through through the the regressive process isn't the whole purpose of it it's just to learn why i am the way that i am today and 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 help me to move forward in my growth and my evolution so i i began mm-hmm. to realize that it didn't make any difference whether i accepted uh the impersonal life perspective or i accepted the life between lives perspective it's all it mm-hmm. all means the same it all says the same thing about where we are right now in this lifetime and to that end mm-hmm. before we wrap up i have a quick question for you um that i'm starting to ask people um, you know, and in light of this whole aspect of karma, this whole aspect mm-hmm. of uh, choices, and this whole aspect of uh, what, uh, as it is above, so it is below, as it is within, uh-huh. so it is without. Uh-huh. All right. Consider what's happening on the outside of us, outside world. And uh-huh. the question I have for you is, why do you think, on a spiritual and metaphysical level, the human race has chosen to put itself through this particular process, especially on a global level? But, but do you mean like going down and fighting in one thing and another no i'm talking or, about the coronavirus i'm talking about the virus or the coronavirus specifically ah uh, right why has i don't know whether i don't know whether it's the humans have chosen to get through this because we are on a planet and there's different life forms on the planet and this is a virus that has um a nucleic acid i think it's rna and so it's, it's just it's just something that we, we, we have to live with i don't think humanity has chosen this um the, uh, if you were talking about the the wars and and, and all the kind of darkness mm-hmm. that was then i would say oh, well that's just ego mm-hmm. 
and and um and a lot of the time it's like a lower vibration it's wanting to keep the the energy of earth lower yeah um but that's an absence of love so the key to moving forward is love and within i mean like jesus brought the 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 christ energy and the christ energy is a pure aspect of god Mm -hmm. and it contains it's it's empathy and compassion it's pure love Mm. and it's forgiveness not just forgiveness of others but forgiveness of self um and when you've got fear and you've got all the darkness going on that's an absence of love so if we bring more love back but as far as the coronavirus goes i don't think it's humanity that's asked for that. But that's just my personal opinion. Somebody may disagree with me. It's mm-hmm. just my personal opinion. I just feel that we are on earth. And if we don't keep if we don't look after the earth and keep it pure, then impure things are going to manifest on earth. Mm. You and know- I mean it's viruses, it's infection. Yeah. I mean, if you keep things pure, the waters are, are, are not pure anymore. The land's been tainted with chemicals and, and nuclear fallout. Um, there's pesticides that's been put in the land and they end up killing bees and you need peace for bollin- pollinating, yeah. repollinating. So yeah. I think it's down to how we look after the planet. So I don't think we've, as humanity we've asked for this, but it's maybe through our actions of keeping or maintaining an unpure planet are allowing the planet to become ta- um, the, the way it's been and hurt that has created um, illness and, and things like that. But I don't think it's humanity we, we, we have consciously asked, but I think it's just happened. We're in a planet and these things are happening. If we don't look after the planet, then um, if we don't look after our body, you see the changes, so as with the planet. Yeah. That sounds and that's to- just, just my opinion. I don't know whether I can't say I'm right or somebody may come in and disagree, but I just that's just from me. Just from you. Well, and I would say that uh, to maybe uh, roll it up into one word, it would be karma. That we've we've in a matter of speaking, we've brought it upon ourselves because of, as you described it, the lack of uh, pure living, uh, if you will, sustainable uh-huh. living, caring for the planet, yes. keeping it clean. Caring for the planet. Yeah. A lack of love for the planet. That's it. Janet Lawson, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. This has been a great pleasure for me, too. Absolutely. Should you find yourself across the pond here in the States and even all the way over to the West Coast in Santa Barbara, California, we would (laughs) we would love to have you in studio to continue this conversation. But if not, hey, we'll do this again. Maybe I think late. It'll be a while, but that would be lovely. That would be lovely. When actually. when it's when it's safe to do so. Uh, but yep. in the meantime, maybe we'll have you back late summer, early fall to uh, talk more about uh, some of the things that you have become aware of, that you have seen and heard and felt and so forth uh, as we move forward in in time. Uh, I, I do, of course, as many people say, I do believe this is temporary uh, and um, it's going to be OK. Yes. Just hang on. Just hang keep in. thinking of the rainbows that the children are putting up in their window. That's there it. will be a rainbow at yeah. the end of this. It's just getting through this dreadful, painful stage. But there will be a rainbow. Before I let you go, I want to ask you. Three questions that I have for all of my guests. You may have addressed oh them. Goodness. You may have addressed them in the program, but I'd like to ask them directly. The first one is: 
Who is Janet Lawson? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm a being of light. Second question is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Um, I hope to bring more people to um, connect with the higher realms, with the angels and the ascended masters. And I do that through my, my weekly distant healing, my free distant healing sessions every week. Um, so, and, and to bring, it'd be wonderful to bring great positive changes to the planet Earth. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To fulfill the plan that I, I agreed before coming here. And that ultimately would be to do God's work, whatever God guides me to do. Well, Janet Lawson, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I encourage people to go to LinkedIn, certainly. Uh, and we will be linked to your LinkedIn profile so people can uh, contact you and, and connect with you. And I would suggest going to Amazon or whatever other location to pick up a copy of Pure Love. Uh, and we hope that people will read it, share it with their children. I'm curious real quickly, is the book yet in audible format? Um, no, it's just in paperback and ebook. Uh, I would love to talk to you about converting it into Audible. Uh, I will do that after the program, but I thank you again so much for joining us here on the program. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. I'm Richard Bye. Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and uh, we'll be back again next time. Until our next podcast broadcast, love to lol.